You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. to John, this book that invites great blessing for all who read it. Lord, we pray now for your great blessing to be upon us. Illumine us, help us to see what it is this text has to speak to us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we come to Revelation 4 and 5, the reason for taking these two chapters together, uh, as you'll see that in chapters 4 and in chapters 5, that there are these praises, you can see them indented in the insert printed, and that there are five of these praises, with the the center point being the third praise in verse 9 and 10. It's set off, it has something that's different about it, speaking of the lamb that was slain, but also these five praises have a, a movement as they are ever increasing with those who are worshiping. The first praise has simply the four cherubs. The second praise has the 24 elders. The third praise has the cherubs and the 24 elders. And then the fourth praise has this great myriad. And the fifth praise seems to have all of creation praising. And so John here is brought up into heaven, commanded by the risen Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 4, he sees the worship in heaven in chapter 5 as we'll see he sees something new so hear these words revelation 4 after this i looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which i heard speaking to me like a trumpet said come up here and i will show you what must take place after this at once i was in the spirit and behold a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. 
And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and priest and nation, people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads of thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. It's an amazing section. John is brought up into heaven at the command of the risen and glorified Jesus. And we find ourselves here, this is the the second of four major visions that take place in the book of Revelation. The first vision, John saw Jesus in all of his glory standing before him. And he fell on his face as though dead. Here he is called by Jesus up to the very throne room of heaven. And in chapter 4, we see just simply the worship of the creator. That God who created all things and sustains all things by that mere fact is worthy of unceasing praise. But then chapter 5 happens. And this this normal, chapter 4 can be said to be normal. This normal worship of the one seated upon the throne, the Lord God Almighty, suddenly in chapter 5, Everything seems to change. Something new happens. And actually, if you think about this, as verse 1 of chapter 5 begins, something new is transpiring. You have God who is worshipped for who he is, and then chapter 5, you have the Lamb who is worshipped with the Almighty. For he has conquered For he has ransomed and redeemed. For he is the one who is worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. He is the one who has the power to execute God's plan. And suddenly, heaven seems to rejoice. It's as if the volume gets turned up even more. And the praises in in Revelation 5 seem to then not only spill out from the throne room, but then to all of heaven itself. And then to the earth. 
and that all creation is rejoicing in what the Lamb has done. So this morning, there are, there's much to dive into, and taking two chapters of Revelation may be simply one of the most foolish things I've ever done in terms of picking texts to preach upon. But simply what I want to look at is the way in which the, the chapter uh, is organized around these five praises. And again, you see those offset in your text, that there are five praises. And it is interesting that with these five praises, the central praise is set off even more. You'll note in the text that the 24 elders, each holding a harp, then the bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, they sing a new song. And then as the praises continue, the, the participants grows till finally all of creation is singing and worshiping. So we'll just simply look at these five praises this morning, touching on the, the fullness of the chapter, but obviously realizing that there are things that we just will not be able to dwell on this evening. So this morning, sorry. And so we come to the first praise. So John, who is pulled up into heaven, he sees the cherub, the living beings that Ezekiel describes there before the throne. And they are, are, are spoken of in a way that just makes them very foreign to us. These spiritual beings are there gathered around the throne. Then the 24 elders gathered around there. We see heaven described as, as best as John can do it. This crystal sea below this appearance of jasper and carnelian you can think of of gems that are slightly translucent and all of this light and lightning that it is a terrifying and awesome scene before john and then in the midst of that these awesome beings who have some resemblance to the physical realm are then never ceasing day and night, crying out with these loud voices, these angelic beings who encircle the throne. Thrice holy is our God, the Lord God Almighty, the Eternal One, the One who has existed before time began and who will exist when time ceases. You can just imagine John there looking at this scene of the fire and the smoke and the light and the rainbows of these creatures that he could barely fathom, crying out in worship. And here they begin this worship service with this superlative, repeating the, the holy, holy, holy is a, a Hebrew way of just saying the most holy. The one who is completely and absolutely and supremely holy. The one who is absolutely set apart from his creation and the one who absolutely deserves worship for who he is simply in his being god is worthy of worship even if he hadn't created anything even if he hadn't redeemed anyone he would still be absolutely worthy of worship by the very nature of his being but then John continues to see more added to this wonderful, what seems to be daily worship service taking place in heaven. Suddenly the 24 elders who have thrones seated around the one sitting upon the throne. 
these beings here who then cast their crowns down and then fall down and worship. They begin then saying, worthy are you, our Lord, our, our sovereign, our master, and our God to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. The second praise that they cry out is God is worthy of worship for what he has done. We could easily dwell on this point of, of what takes place in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 all over again. To think of, of this sovereign, eternal being who speaks and galaxies are formed. That he, he in a word, flings the, the stars into the sky. That at his word, these creatures spoken of here come into existence. That everything we see, touch, taste, and smell, all of it was spoken to and it came into existence merely because he willed it so. And not only that, but unlike the, the watchmaker who creates and walks away, he is intimately involved with his creation. He sustains everything. It speaks of his people that he, he knows the hairs on their head. He bottles their tears in a jar. He is intimately connected to his people. And so worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive honor, praise, and glory. And it's at this point that we begin into chapter 5 that John is just simply a participant viewing this great heavenly worship scene. But then something happens. In many ways, the, the reason John is summoned up here is not just so that he can be a bystander and see that the worship of the triune God, though as glorious as that is, to have this written down here before us. But then there is the one who is sitting upon the throne. He holds in his hand a scroll that is written front and back, and then it's sealed with seven seals. The idea here is in ancient times you would seal documents. And yes, the seals could just be popped off. They're not very difficult to take off. It's a wax seal. But the point being is that if someone is sending that and you are not authorized to open it, you'll be in big trouble. So if Caesar were to send a document and, see, and, and seals it, not just anyone can open it up. You need to have the authority. You need to be the recipient. You need to be the one who has the power and the authority to open it, but also then to execute what it says. And so this angel then proclaims with a loud voice that seems to span over all of creation who is worthy to open it, to break its seals, who has the authority and the power, who has the, the might and the ability to open this scroll. The one from the Almighty who can dare to step into this heavenly throne room to take that scroll out of the hand of the Almighty. And John here sees this scene and sees the importance of it and knows that if this is in the hand of the Almighty, then whatever this scroll is, and we will get to what it is, whatever it is, it is of supreme importance. And then if there's an angel that is proclaiming to all of creation that we do need someone to open this and to read it and to then execute what it says, then you can see why that would cause John to then weep, seeing that there is no one who is able to do this. 
There's no one, it seems, who can be found who is to do this. And so he breaks down and he, he weeps here in the midst of this heavenly worship service. But then one of the elders comes to John and says, Weep no more. Weep no more. Behold, there is somebody who is worthy. There is somebody who is able. There is somebody who can come into the presence of the Almighty Creator and take from His right hand of power this scroll. And not only can this person open it, but then they can actually execute and has the power to do. And who is this? It is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David. The great King has come. And note the way the elder says it. He has conquered. He has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Here he is speaking of that there is the Messiah has finally come and by his death and resurrection and his ascension into heaven, Jesus there stands with the, the marks in his hands and the pierced side and says, yes, I am worthy. I can take this scroll I can open its seals, for I have died, but I am alive now forevermore. And this is what causes this next section of praise in verses 9 through 10. And so what is this scroll? What is the importance of it? Because it plays a major role in Revelation. Because really, chapters 5 through 16 will have in some various ways about the opening of these seals that are upon this scroll. But look what they say in verse 9. The elders and the angels, the cherub and the elders, they say, You are worthy to take it and to open it because you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from all the earth in order to bring in a kingdom and to make them priests to God, and they shall reign forever and ever. This scroll seems to be a combination of the Lamb's Book of Life, which plays an important role in the book of Revelation, this book that has the name of all the elect upon it. That if you here trust in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, it means that your name is written on that scroll or written in that book. And that Jesus, through his death and through his resurrection, is able to open that scroll. He has accomplished salvation. But also with that book, if there are some who are elected to everlasting life, Jesus tells us there are also those who are not. And that the cross brings salvation, but also judgment. It brings vindication that Jesus was innocent. And that the powers of this world were cast out. The cross there is, is a victory over the forces of evil. And the rest of Revelation will show that, that conflict until that one great and glorious day when the lamb returns, but not as a lamb, but as a lion of the tribe of Judah and a host of heaven behind him. And so here we see that this is the, the, the Lamb's book of life, but also the judgment on the world, that Jesus is the one who, by his death and resurrection, has ransomed the people, but he's also the one who is, 
who will bring judgment upon the world. And indeed, he reigns and rules even now. He protects his church. He fights for his people. By his death and resurrection, he has cast out the accuser of the brethren. I have seen Satan fall like lightning. By his death and resurrection, he has defeated the forces of evil and will bring them to account fully one day. And so here is Jesus, the lamb who was slain. Look at the paradox in this great grand plan of redemption. John is told, don't worry, John. There is someone who is worthy. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And then John looks out and sees not a lion, but a sacrificial lamb. A lamb who, as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, meaning full, uh, full power and also omniscience. That John sees this strange paradox that in expecting a lion, he finds a lamb. But it's not just any ordinary lamb. It's a lamb who appears as though he was slain, but also has this great power and might and omniscience. And he's full of the seven spirits. He's full to capacity with the Holy Spirit. He is in complete control. He sees all things. He has all power. And he went and took the scroll. From him who was seated on the throne. And this is what brings about this new song. Scripture often talks about a new song being something that is composed after a great and mighty victory. We'll look at this this evening in Exodus 15. It takes place in Judges with Deborah and Barak. There's a song that is composed for their victory. The Psalms are, are ending with these great hallelujah chorus. And speaking of a new song that we are singing because the Messiah has conquered. And actually, as we, we look through these praises, we're, we're, we're just gathering more and more beings to worship God. And the Psalms seem to flow the same way. It, it goes from Psalm 46, which is a hallelujah psalm at the beginning and the end. And as we move through the last bit of the, the five last Psalms, the last Psalm is every sentence begins with hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And so then it, it moves on from this worshiping now, the Lamb who is worthy, to this fourth praise. Worthy is the Lamb. And now here at verse 11, we have numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. So we've, we've gone from 24 plus 4, 28 beings gathered around the throne worshiping the Lamb, to now hundred million give or take all the hosts of heaven all of the angels the entire angelic army here worshiping worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing you'll note how similar this sounds to the second praise worthy are you O lord and god to receive glory and honor and power here we see that the Lamb, just like the Almighty, is worthy in and of his being. Certainly here they're worshiping because of what Christ has accomplished, but Christ is always worth and worthy of worship. He is worthy now to receive. Though he was slain, he lives evermore. And then finally we move to the last piece, this great culmination. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea 
and all that is in them. John is saying everything. Everything. All of creation. Every created being. Every creature. Everything. Now joins in to say to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Now, when is this taking place? This last part here sounds especially as if this is bringing us to the end of time, the great glorious time where Jesus descends and all creation, as Paul says, will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. Well, the simple fact of the matter is, I'm not sure. There are lots of things, even in chapters 4 and 5, that I don't always understand. But what does come out throughout here is simply that God is worthy of worship, receiving worship, and we are joining in with that worship. And also that the lamb who was slain is worthy of worship by his great redemptive act. In many ways, what we're seeing in, in Revelation 5 is simply the restoration of worship. That Jesus now through his death and resurrection is fixing this broken world. You'll remember Adam and Eve were placed in the garden to tend it, to dwell with the Lord God forever and to worship him. Adam was a priest king to reign and rule as a vice regent. But here Jesus now has come to restore worship. He has ransomed people from every tribe, nation, and tongue, but for a purpose. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they, they shall reign upon the earth. Jesus has come to bring in a kingdom and to take his people and make them priests and kings. Right? Priests to be worship leaders. To be those who, who bring and who come and who who bring praises to our God because the lamb was slain. There's no need for a sacrificial system any longer. But the priests are there for worship and that they shall reign on the earth. And when we look at this, Paul brings this out in Romans 5, that what Adam lost, Christ has regained. But it's not simply a one-to-one. It's not as if Jesus is just restoring us back to Eden, because you'll note that Revelation ends not with a garden, but with a city. That there's progress, there's something greater that happens. Paul says this, but the free gift is not like the trespass, meaning the sin of Adam and all of creation that, that fell with him. If, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of God of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for any, for any, for many. And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Paul's point is that what Adam lost, Christ has regained, but it's so much greater. It surpasses in, in so much what, even if Adam had been obedient, what Christ has won by his obedience is greater than what Adam could have even hoped for. And Christ now then shares that 
through his death and resurrection by faith in him. Looking at this, I just think a simple question as we look to close here is how is our worship? How is our worship this Easter Sunday? Because every Sunday is Easter Sunday. Every Sunday we gather because Christ sits at the Father's right hand. Every Sunday we gather because Jesus is the one who stands in the midst of his lampstands, the church. God is seated in his heavenly throne room and the lamb as though slain stands by his side. And gathering around the triune God are all of these beings of inestimable glory themselves worshiping the Lord. And it is from this heavenly throne room that Jesus oversees and cares for his church until the end of the age, sending forth his Holy Spirit and his messengers that he be with his people even to the end of the age. And finally, this just simply speaks of the fact, as Revelation shows, that Jesus is coming again. Sunday by Sunday, we are to see this great truth. Christ has died to ransom us. Christ lives never to die again. And Christ reigns until all his enemies are made a footstool. And on that great and glorious day, the line of the tribe of Judah descends and bids us to come and feast and triumph. You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres, that's P-R-E-S, dot co, dot U-K.